We give you praise, Jesus, Lord. We thank you that we believe in your name. And we have called on your name. And we are saved. Lord, we thank you today that we are not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. We thank you that we enjoy and we live in the fullness of your salvation by simply believing, by simply accepting everything of what you have done on the cross when you died for us and you rose from the grave and now you are seated in heavenly places by your Father. Lord, we thank you. We put our faith in that, our trust in that. Our whole hope is in that. The simplicity of the cross, the wisdom of God, the power of God unto salvation. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. I think we should give him another shout, another praise in this place. Come on, church. We can give Jesus a huge cheer. Let the redeemed of the Lord shout. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Come on, give him another shout. Come on, we can do it. Amen. And let's thank our musicians for blessing us this morning. You may be seated. What a great morning we're having. Do you know what? It's such a blessing just to sing the right songs. We're not singing some old, dreary, depressive, sad songs. When the praises of God fill the mouths of God's people, I'm telling you now, something happens in your spirit. Something happens in your life. Like Musu said, you can come in from a heavy week. You can come in from all kinds of troubles into the house of God. But as soon as you start to fill your mouth with the praises of God, something happens in your spirit. You become energized by the very life of Jesus and his spirit and everything changes. I love that great statement that Paul made, the apostle. He said, forgetting the things that are behind me, I press on toward the upward call of, that is in God in Christ Jesus. Aren't you so grateful that you can forget about the things that are behind you? I am. Aren't you so grateful to God that he doesn't, you know, rub our nose in it and ask us to, and, and remind us about the things that we may have been through in this last past week? No, forgetting those things that are behind me. We press on. You haven't got to bring last week into God's presence. He knows about your troubles. He knows about the difficulties and the stresses and the strains. It's called life. But in his presence, there is fullness of joy, and at his right hand, treasures of abundance forevermore. And that is our portion. It really is. Thank God the praises of God have been sung in this place this morning. The praises of God have filled your mouth, not some dry, depressive dirge, but the praises of God that have focused our mind and our hearts and our lives again and centered them in our hope for Him. Amen? Amen. A wonderful thing. Don't ever take for granted singing those praises to Him. Whether it's through your week, 
on the way to work in your car, in the toilet at work, whatever, wherever you are in life, let the praises of God be in your mouth. I'm telling you, something happens. It really does. Something changes and shifts in our lives when, when we do that. We've been looking at Psalm 86, verse 11, picking up, picked up on a statement that David made, a cry from his heart, teach me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your ways, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I might fear your name. Last week I said to you, this was an invitation from David. He was inviting the Lord to teach him. He was inviting the Lord to impart into his life. When the Lord is your teacher, oh, what a portion. Oh, what a blessing. Oh, what a life that's going to thrive. What a life that's going to succeed. If the Lord is your teacher, everything changes. Everything comes into fruition when He is your teacher. He's not going to lead you down some dead-end road. You're not going to have to fear the future if the Lord is your teacher. You're going to walk confidently. I'll show you this morning. You're going to walk confidently. You're going to know that He's for you and with you. You're not going to fear problems or circumstances. You're going to move on through because He's your teacher. Amen. When the Lord is your teacher, you're going to succeed and you're going to live a blessed life. When we invite the Lord to be our teacher, you can be sure that things are going to change. Things are going to change. If you don't like change, let me give you a, a little bit of advice. Do not pray this prayer that David prayed in Psalm 86. Do not invite the Lord to be your teacher. If you're, if you're, you know, if you just, your life is stuck in the mud and you just like living in the rut and you just like things to be predictable and you're uncertain and unsure about the way that, in which he's going to lead, if you do not like change, don't pray this prayer that David prayed in Psalm 86, verse 11. Because David was inviting, inviting the Lord to change him. Are you ready for change? Have you got an appetite for change? Or do you just want to run around in life with things just as they've always been? No, I don't. I want my life to thrive. I want my life to grow. I want my boundaries and my capacity to get bigger. I want to experience new things in God. I want my life not to diminish, but I want my life to grow and be abundant. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. I tell you now, when the abundance of God hits your life, you're going to succeed. You're going to thrive. You're going to be attractive to everyone and anyone around you. They're going to say, my God, what's happened to you? And you'll be able to say, the Lord is my teacher. No, when you, when you invite him to be your teacher, things are going to change. Things are going to change, and change can be uncomfortable. Change can come suddenly. Change can happen in moments where you least expect it to happen. But if the Lord is going to be your teacher, you've got to embrace it. Change has got to be your friend, your best friend, your companion. Your companion. 
You can't be stubborn. You can't be strong. Told you last week, the, the, the characteristics and the qualities of a meek person is a man or a woman that's been broken, a man or a woman that's moldable, a man or a woman that's been shaped by God. Moses was called the meekest man in all of the earth. He didn't start out meek. When he was in Egypt, he murdered an Egyptian. He didn't start out meek, but I'm telling you now, through the process of time and through the intervention of God, he ended up the meekest man in the whole earth. He was teachable. He was pliable. He was bendable because God had his hand on him and he was teaching him. The Bible says about the, Moses, it says, the children of Israel knew God's acts, but, go, go, but Moses knew his ways. Moses knew his ways. David said, teach me your ways. Moses knew God's ways. He, he ended up the meekest man in all of the earth. Why? Because God was involved and he was open to change. If we're going to have the Lord as our teacher, you've got to be ready for change. I've got to be ready for change. Get your seatbelt on because the ride is going to be fast. Oh man, it's exhilarating living with God. It's exhilarating. He infuses you with expectation. He enlarges your faith. And he moves your life into another gear, into another level, into another dimension. And that's the life, listen, you've been born to live. You've been born to live that life. And don't allow any devil in hell to steal, you, steal it from you. You've been born to live. This kind of life that God has, but it involves change. The teacher comes and he brings change. The teacher, if, if, if you want the Lord to be your teacher like David invited the Lord to be his teacher, what was David saying? He, he was saying, Lord, confront me at all levels. Are you ready to be confronted? Confronted. Confronted with his ways as they come and contradict your ways. His ways are higher than our ways. So far are they higher as from the heavens to the earth. My thoughts, God says, are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. You're going to get confronted. I'm going to get confronted with a new level of thinking, with a new way of doing things. You've got to be content with change. You've got to be content with confrontation. The Lord will confront. And also, if the Lord is going to be your teacher, you see, it rolls off the tongue so easily, doesn't it? Lord, teach me your ways, and I will walk in your truth. It's easy to say it. But when you're, when you're being placed in an environment where huge changes are taking place, or you're, you're, you're being confronted, or you're being corrected, corrected. The teacher, especially the Lord, comes as a corrector. Thank God for correction. My God, are we, are we beyond correction? Do we rebel against correction? Yes. Good. Good, Bob. Yes, we do. I thought he was going to say no then. I was going to say, Bob, you little liar. Because he knows it's the truth and I do. How many times but I love it. I love the honesty, Bob. Yes, we do. When we're corrected by a brother or a sister, that's the worst. 
I mean, it's all right being corrected by God, but when you're corrected by a brother or a sister, or go one step further, sacred ground, corrected by your husband or wife. Oh, my God. All the devils in hell begin to cry out and laugh. No, correction is important. If we're going to be taught, if we're going to be meek, if we're going to be supple, if we're going to expand, we could never expand and enlarge our lives without the blessing of correction. Proverbs 13 verse 1 says, A wise son heeds his father's instruction. Or in other translations, a wise son loves correction. Loves correction, is waiting for instruction, is waiting for feedback. Bring it on, Dad. Where have I gone wrong this time? Bring it on, Dad. How can I improve? Bring it on, Dad. I know I failed in that area. How can I not make that mistake again? Bring it on, Dad. I know I failed at my first marriage. How can I make my second marriage succeed? Bring it on, Dad. I know I'm addicted to pornography and I failed yet again. But Lord, this week I want to go into the future being victorious and standing against it. Bring it on, Dad. Correct me. Correct me. A wise son loves correction. A wise son takes hold of it, or a wise woman takes hold of correction. Why? Because they understand that the Lord disciplines those he loves. If we were illegitimate, he would just leave us to our own devices and say, do you know what? Look at that fool Edwards. I'm not getting involved in his life. Look at that fool Edwards. He just goes about doing his own thing. He's not going to heed my correction anyway, but because he loves us. Because he loves us. He corrects us. In Hebrews, verse 12, or chapter 12, verse 1, No, it's not verse 1. I think it's about verse 3. The Bible says, hey, listen, this is New Testament. The Bible says that the Lord scourges everyone he receives to himself. Maybe check out what a scourge is. It's a whip with stones in it. You want to come into the presence of the Lord? You want to appear before the king of the universe? Then prepare yourself to be scourged. The scourge will prepare us. The scourge will clean us to stand in an audience with the king of the universe. Don't just expect to rock up there dressed anyhow. Don't expect just to rock up there with stinking attitudes and stinking thoughts and walk in there and talk to God as if he's your boss or as as if you're his boss under his foot. No, we've got to reverence him. He's holy. He's majestic. The Bible says he's beyond knowing. He's beyond knowing. He's awesome. I tell you now, when he came in Solomon's temple, everybody hit the deck and couldn't move. And it's his grace that allows us to sit in our seats this morning. Because if he turned up here, you know as well as I, I'd be the first on the floor. He's awesome. He's wonderful. But he corrects us. He scourges us. He uses circumstance as a rod to refine us. He uses circumstance and life and the contradictions of it to work for us. But it's hard when we fight God's corrective hand. One day there was a man on a donkey 
and he was riding on his donkey to cause some trouble for some Christians. His name was Saul. He was a very proud man, very arrogant man. He had a lot of knowledge about the Scriptures. He had a lot of knowledge about being religious. He was full of all the ceremonies of the law. He had an impeccable history when it came to religion. And then one day, he said, a light brighter than the sun threw me to the ground off my horse and blinded me and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The first words from this blind man, Saul, in the dust was, Lord, well, you would, wouldn't you? Lord, who are you? He said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And then the Lord said this to him, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. It's hard for you to kick against the pricks. The goad was a stick with nails in it that a shepherd used for stubborn sheep. And the sheep would be stubborn or the goat would be stubborn and it would not move. It would fix its place like an anchor in the bed of the ocean and not move. And the shepherd would come along with his little stick and it would have the goads in it and he'd whack the backside of that sheep. And I tell you something now, the little sheep would move. He would move. He would run down the little field in the direction that the shepherd wanted him to go. But Paul was hitting these goads. Paul was kicking against these goads until the Lord took notice of it, turned up on the Damascus road, threw him in the dust and said, Paul, stop it. Stop kicking against the goads. And suddenly his life was transformed, and you can read it. The man went on to do incredible things. He suffered greatly for the Lord and ended up writing two-thirds of the New Testament because Jesus gave him such wonderful revelation, instruction, correction will take you into a bigger place. It'll enlarge your capacity. It'll fit you ready to receive revelation, not from the mouth of man, but from the mouth of God. Don't kick against the goads. There's so much for you, Paul. Don't kick against my correction, Paul. I've got a whole world that I want you to share a message with, a message of the risen Savior, Christ Jesus. Paul, I want you to be an apostle that founds churches in many nations, but you've got to get past this, Paul. You've got to stop kicking against the goats. Paul receives his sight and goes into a wonderful, wonderful future. He appeared before emperors. He sat in prisons. He... he he, he sailed on ships that sank at sea. What an exciting, exhilarating life to live. And he carried the fire of God's Spirit wherever he went. He turned cities upside down. He built an apostolic team. And we are here today because a man went past the correction, went past the painful goads, and he entered into his destiny. I'm telling you, what's beyond the correction that God is correcting you with? 
What's beyond the goad that you're kicking against? A wise son loves correction. Embrace it. And thank God for it. By inviting God to be our teacher, we're saying, Lord, I'm open to change. By inviting the Lord to be our teacher, we're inviting confrontation and a clash of wills. By inviting the Lord to be our teacher, we're saying, Lord, I love correction. I realize that I need correction. Correct me. And then finally, we are also, by inviting the Lord, like David did, to be our teacher, we are committing ourselves to walk in the truth that He speaks. James said it, you know the Word, just like I do. Don't just be hearers of the Word. Don't just be, and he wasn't talking about a preacher preaching to you. He was talking about the Word speaking to you. The living Word of God, the still small voice. He said, listen, don't just be a hearer of that still small voice. Actually do it. Practice it. Live it. Be a doer of the Word. Remember years ago, listening to a story by Pastor Bill Hybels. You may know Pastor Bill Hybels has a church, an incredible church called Willow Creek in America. And he told a story about when he grew up at home. He lived in a very, very wealthy home. His father was a very, very successful businessman. He owned a corporation. And everybody wanted to be part of the Hybels home. Everybody envied the Hybels. They had the big mansion. They had, you know, several cars to their name. They had the rolling lawns, the swimming pools, the tennis courts. Everybody wanted to be a Hybels. Except what they didn't see was when, a, when the storms hit at night, his father would be running around the house frantically, waking the whole family up, panicking, going crazy, dragging everybody out of their bed at three in the morning, saying, we've got to get down to the harbor. We've got to get down to the harbor. My yacht is going to break my yacht. And they would, they would be taken time and time again through the panic and the pressure of these acquisitions that Mr. Hybels had bought. And Bill Hybels said, nobody knew the trouble that wealth brought my family. Nobody knew the trouble and the pain and the pressure that we were under just to keep everything afloat. Day came when Dad had a chat to son, and he said, Son, it's time for me to have a talk with you about the future of my company. You're going to inherit it. Now, the father thought he was giving his son a blessing. But Hybels had had a different call from his heavenly father that his earthly father didn't know anything about. You see. He wanted him to take over a huge, a huge organization that would make him very, very wealthy. Bill Hybels graciously said to his dad, he said, oh, dad, dad, you know I'm a Christian. Yes, son. I know. I don't think his father was born again. 
Dad, you know I'm a Christian. Young man, in love with Jesus. Dad, I just feel that the destiny and the dream of my life is to be a pastor. A what? A pastor, Dad. I just believe that Jesus has told me to serve him. To, to maybe one day pastor a church. His father cursed him. His father couldn't understand him. His father was so angry with this suggestion of another path. His father had set out this path for Bill, and he wanted him to follow in the family footsteps. And Bill now, young man, burning with the call of God, is saying, Dad, I've got a different call on my life. I've got a different dream in mind. His father said, if you fulfill that dream, I will disinherit you and I will put you out of this house. I don't want anything to do with you. So Bill, young man, graciously said to his dad, Dad, I've got to follow the voice of the Lord. I've got to follow his voice for my life. Teach me your ways, O Lord. And I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I might fear your name. Teach me your ways. I will walk in your truth. Bill Hybels was at a crossroads in his life. Bill Hybels was at a point where he had to make a decision whether he was going to enter into the destiny that God had called him to enter into or he was going to take hold of earthly possessions that everybody wanted. Everybody wanted. Do you know what? He chose the call of God and he got ejected from his family, he got disinherited, and he moved in with his brother-in-law, and they started a church. Do you know how many people were there in the first meeting? About five or six. Well done, Bill. What a great choice, Bill. You done it, Bill. This is your destiny. He's disinherited. He's got nothing to his name. His father doesn't want anything to do with him. And now he's got a, a, a room full of five or six people. And this is the Lord's leading. Doesn't look very spectacular. But you know what? As that young man began to faithfully, faithfully pursue the call of God on his life, things started to happen that he couldn't work out. People were just starting to come from everywhere to the point that now Willow Creek in America is probably one of the largest multi-site campus churches in the whole of America. It has an incredible, unbelievable history. Why? Because a man, a young man, was at an important crossroads in his life, and his father, his earthly father, was saying, you got to come this way, and his heavenly father was at this juncture saying, son, come on, son. This is what you've been born for. This is why I've created you. Come on, son. Come on, son. You had a father over there shouting at him, and a father here, heavenly father, graciously whispering, and he followed, he followed the voice of the Lord. And do you know what?
He's one of the most wealthiest, one of the most wealthiest pastors in America. Not because he went running after money or preaching a prosperity gospel, trying to rob the saints of God of, of the little that God had given them. Not at all. He hasn't preached any of that. And God has amassed that man with more wealth than he could ever imagine. Or his father, his earthly father, could ever give him. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. As far as the heavens are from the earth, are my thoughts from your thoughts. Listen, what God's telling you may be crazy. It may seem crazy. It may seem wild. It may seem beyond belief. Go with it, church. Go with it, child of God. Don't, don't water it down. Don't shrink it down. Let it be large. Let it be big. Let it take all of the dimensions that God has given it. Don't shrink it down to try and fit in. Let it be everything that God has declared it would be. I said to you, we left off last week. And I said to you, do you know what? God hasn't got a selective group of people that he wants to teach. Do you remember that? God hasn't got a selective group of people. He wants to teach everyone. He wants to teach anyone because he loves us so much. He wants to instruct us and guide us and lead us and pour into us everything he is. He doesn't hold it back. He releases it. He's so generous and patient. There's a book in the Bible. In fact, there's many books in the Bible that outline that God is a teacher. There's, a, there's, there's many books and many passages in the Bible that show us in detail that God takes a man and a woman, a child, by the hand and instructs them and leads them and guides them. God doesn't just want us making life up as we go along. God wants our course fixed. God wants our course full of purpose full of life, full of excitement, full of joy. I love reading the book of Proverbs. This book, read it. Devour it. Devour it. Meditate on my word day and night, he said to Joshua, and I will give you great success. Great success. Everywhere your foot shall tread, you'll possess. That's how God talks about his word. Meditate on it. The book of Proverbs is an incredible book. 31 chapters in the book. And almost in every chapter, you find the Lord appealing to people. You find the Lord crying out to people. You find the Lord wanting to help. You find the Lord like a father wanting to just instruct just wanting to enlarge and make better people's lives and give good advice and to be with them at every point of decision. You find the Lord in the book of Proverbs almost on every page wanting to help, wanting to give advice. Not in the synagogue. Not in the temple. You don't find God appealing to people, come to my house so that you might find knowledge. Come to my house that you might learn something new. Come to my house that I might teach you. 
that's a good thing, that's a right thing. We should do that and continue to do that. But in the book of Proverbs, you don't find that. You find the Lord out in the highways and the byways of life. On a Monday morning, standing where everybody is appealing to people, come my way. Make this decision. Heed this warning. Let me read it to you. Right at the beginning, the opening chapter, you you see the Lord right out in public, wanting to help anyone and everyone, teach them, impart to them, his life and his way. It says this, wisdom calls aloud outside. She raises her voice. This isn't God in some small corner, hiding away in secret, wanting to keep wisdom to himself as to how life can work and how life can succeed and how life can prosper. No, this is God out in the open, raising his voice. She raises her voice in the open square. She cries out in the chief concourses, at the openings of the gates in the city. She speaks her words. How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? For scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Turn at my rebuke. Turn at my correction. Turn when you hit the goads, when you get struck by a circumstance that God's behind and his sovereign hand is manipulating. Let it instruct you. Let it enlarge you. Let it correct you and turn, he says. Turn at my rebuke. Then the promise, the result of such a change, the promise at such a challenge, the promise at such a confrontation is this, surely I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. God isn't hiding away. God hasn't got a select group of people that he'll speak to. I'll speak to these over there, but I won't speak to them over here. No, God is open. God stands and is willing to impart, to impart to people. Can I ask some musicians to come? We're going to close in a moment. Do you know, one of the things that you see as a pastor, and I've been a pastor here now alongside Pastor Ray and also with Pastor Dale. And I'm telling you, you can ask Dale and he'll vouch for what I'm saying. One of the things that you see as a pastor is that you see people come to a crossroads. Right, Dale? You see people come to a crossroads in their life. And you're stood at the crossroads with them because they come to you. And what I've found is this over the years. They want you to tell them that the wrong way is the right way. And the right way is the wrong way. Right, Dale? Seen it lots. But because you stand objectively, you stand knowing that the wrong way is the wrong way. 
The right way is the right way. And you cannot, you cannot mix them up. It's just like darkness and light. And you say, listen, man, the wrong way is the wrong way. No, 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 buddy. I'm from the valleys, the wrong way is the right way. Praise God. No, buddy, boy. I'm from the King's Church. I got the Word of God in my heart. And the wrong way is the wrong way. I was thick. I didn't do very well in school. I haven't got much of an education, but I can tell you this, under the anointing of God's Spirit, the wrong way is the wrong way, and the right way is the right way. But it's wild. It's wild. I've seen it. He's seen it. I've been outside of his office door many times listening. Oh, he's got one again. He's just trying to tell him that the, the wrong way is the wrong way. The right way is the right way. But no, they're arguing black and blue, fighting tooth and nail. I will do it this way. And do you know what you've got to do as a pastor? And especially when they say this, this is the butte. Oh, this is the butte. Well, the Lord told me so. Oh, my God, the wrong way must be the wrong way for you. Then go on. Oh, the, the, the right way must be the wrong way. Go on. As soon as they bring the Lord into it, I just say all the best. All the best. Seen it. But with tears in our heart, tears in our eyes and a heavy heart, people go their way. They do their thing. Remember, we used to do a Monday night evangelism team up in the bus station. I remember meeting this beautiful young girl beautiful teenager you know the type of teenager you see them they've been untouched by life untouched unmarked by by life's hold i remember seeing this girl she was excited she wanted to explore life she was about to leave school full of expectation full of excitement that's the way it should be and i remember saying to her i said my love you're at a great point of life. You're at a great position. Have you ever thought that God loves you? That Jesus, He wants to walk with you down the corridor of life. He wants to make that future certain. The hopes in your heart, real. He wants to make them a reality for you. Have you ever thought about Jesus? And you know, she just laughed it off. No, no, I haven't got time for Jesus. And she said it politely. You know, she, she wasn't rude. And week after week after week, in different ways, I'd bump into this young girl. Beautiful young girl. Innocent, pure, untouched by life. And again, hey, Jesus loves you. Yeah, I know. See ya. And then maybe for a year, 18 months, I didn't see that girl. We'd go up every week. And just speak to people and invite them to the church and tell them about Jesus. Many of them would just walk by. Many of them would ignore the word. It's the truth, friends. It's the truth. Many of them would just, ah, oh, you know, a couple of curse words sent your way and then they would just walk on by. Just like wisdom standing in the street. The message of Christ in the city. Talking to people. Wanting. Imploring them with a burning heart. With tears in eyes. With a, with, with, with a desire to see them meet Jesus. Yet they would walk on by. Just like they did. 
when wisdom stood in the city. Maybe two years went by, I saw that girl. But now I could see life with its crushing weight was on her back. Life, life's hand had broken the dream. Life's hand had, had robbed her of her hope. You looked into her eyes, man, and they were just like a black murky pool. Jesus was there to help her. Jesus was there to bring her on through, to realize all of the things that she had in her heart. But the right way to her was the wrong way. And she made her choice. Do you know, I've watched that girl, still see her now, 20 years later. And now, well, I won't say what's going on. There's no need to. But I'll tell you something now. It's not good. It's not good. When the Lord is your teacher, when we walk in His ways, we are going to be blessed in everything we do. Proverbs, let me read this finally to you. Proverbs 4, verse 10 to 13. Listen to the results of going with the teacher's advice. Listen to the results and the fruit of a life that's under instruction. Hear my son and receive my sayings and the years of your life will be many. I have taught you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in right paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hindered. And when you run, you will not stumble. Take firm hold of instruction. Do not let it go. Keep her, for she is your life. Go away from this meeting today and take firm hold of instruction. Do not pick it up and let it go when it suits you. Do not be selective in your hearing when God instructs you, when He comes with change, when He comes with confrontation, when He comes with instruction and discipline. Take firm hold. Take firm hold of the truth. Take firm hold of the Word of God and let it live in you. The Bible says, Paul, to the Colossians, he says, let the Word of Christ dwell within you richly. What's inside you? Let it be the Word of Christ and let it dwell in all of its riches. Take firm hold of the truth and hold it throughout life and see your life thrive, see your life grow, see your life enter into everything that God has destined you to live in. Amen? Amen. Father, I thank you today for your people. I thank you. Oh, God, you take up the role of teacher in our, in our lives, Lord. Your genius, your magnificence, your majesty, your intelligence with which you put the sun in the sky, the moon in its place, the stars you named, the earth in its orbit, 
the rivers, the mountains, the grass, the insects, the detail, the intelligence in it all baffles us. It's magnificent. It's beyond knowing. It's beyond finding out. And yet you condescend to say, I'll teach you. And yet you lower yourself to say, I'll come down. I'll come down to you. And I'll walk down the corridors of life with you. And I'll hold your hand and I'll instruct you like a father does a son. A father does a daughter. Oh God, we thank you. Oh God, we praise you. Oh God, we worship you. That you do not hide yourself in the magnificence of heaven. But you're willing to walk in the concourse of life with us. And teach us and instruct us. You're amazing. You're amazing. I pray, Lord, that we would hear your voice. I pray, Lord, that we would not only hear it, but we would set our life to do it. To do it. Come what may. Irrespective of cost. Irrespective of conditions. We will do it in Jesus' name. You may be in this place today and you've never asked Jesus into your heart while your eyes are closed and heads are bowed. I'm going to give you an opportunity right now to invite the teacher into your life. But he's more than a teacher. He's a savior, the savior. And when you ask him to save you, his loving arms are wrapped around you and your life is never the same. He never lets go. You say, but Dave, you don't know what I'm in. Well, the Bible says the Lord's arm is not short that it cannot save. It's not short that it can't reach in to your life. It's not short that it can't stretch and pull you out of that pit. He can do anything. You don't know what I've done, Dave. Well, we're all in the same boat. That's why he forgives us and he cleanses us and he sets us free. So I'm going to give you an opportunity right now to ask Jesus Christ into your life by saying a simple, quiet prayer in your heart. You're acknowledging that you need him. And in acknowledging that you need him, he will come to live inside you. Pray this prayer with me. Jesus, say it. Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart Make me new. I believe that you died for me. I believe that your power removes the burden of sin from my life. I give my life to you now. Take it up. Save it. Make it what you created it to be in all of its beauty and wonder I ask Amen if you prayed that prayer while eyes are closed we want to give you a Bible would you lift your hand up I'll see it and you can put it down is there a person here this morning you prayed that prayer asking Jesus into your heart if you prayed it we'll see you at the end there'll be stewards at the end the back of the church if you want to pick up a bible we would love for you 
to have one. If you receive God's word this morning, I tell you now, the Holy Ghost has spoke. Today, he really has to encourage you, to stir you, to bless you, to enlarge you. Let's stand to our feet. We're going to sing.